So there's a couple of myths about being happy to start with. And one of them is, if I am not happy, there is something wrong with me. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. Now, I usually release podcast episodes on Monday, but since I was in the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho watching the total solar eclipse, I've been off the grid. This week, we're talking with Carrie Dyer, a licensed clinical social worker about being happy. So is the goal of receiving counseling to always be happy? According to Carrie, that's a big no. So if it's not about always being happy... What is it all about? According to Carrie, it's about something called emotional hygiene. And if you stick around after the interview, you can sit in on one of Carrie Dyer's tactics for improving emotional hygiene called mindful meditation. That's right. We're going to be meditating after the show. Carrie, welcome to Ununinformed. Thanks. Glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about what you do. Well, I am a counselor. I'm a therapist. So I work with people with challenges, be it mental health or family issues, and help them manage life. I feel like this is something that I don't understand. A lot of other people don't understand. For example, I I have a friend that has anxiety and depression, and he often feels that that people just want him to man up. He's just telling me how one of his friends is just like, well, just try harder. Uh, and uh so so he feels misunderstood Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people feel that way yeah let's talk about that experiencing mental health is a very lonely experience yeah we all go up we all go down how far up and how far down we go is what makes it a disorder or not but there's no such thing as people who don't go down and people who don't go up and I have to say something about that. So if you're, if you remember like uh, uh, sine and cosine graphs when you were, oh, I'm an engineer. So. Okay. So, <laughs> so imagine an arch going up, this right. being like um, anxious and high keyed up emotion, fight or flight kind of thing. And then imagine the curve going below zero and going down and that imagine that being depression. Now the problem with being high and low is it's a really difficult place to feel connection it's yeah. a really difficult place to process and learn new information. Right. And it's a really difficult place to to feel all emotions. As opposed to what? As opposed to just Somewhere like... towards the middle. In the middle, there's the state we call state of approximate arousal. So hypoarousal is the low, uh-huh. so under-aroused. And high would be hyper-arousal. So and this wait, middle and, state is... And just to be clear, that high, is that like a happy high or is that an anxious high? That's Anxious the, high. Okay. So that's none of the... So those highs and the lows, not one of those is good (laughs) no so the good is this middle place okay right in the middle of the cosine wave right and it's it's this like zone this little window where you do have the ability to feel connection maintain attachments so like your mom comes in and rubs your back and you feel calm and you feel okay whereas sometimes when you're depressed and someone comes in and rubs your back you don't feel okay you don't feel understood you don't feel connected it's because you're not able to yeah so there's a there's a huge part about first of all just the way you're able to interpret people when you're when you're struggling, right. and part of that is when you're struggling you're not going to be able you're not in the same in a calm place to be able to accept support and help. Second is some people are really terrible supports, 
like you said, they're like, oh, just buck up. You know, you know, you need to like, you know, exercise more or, you know, uh, like a spiritual answer. Like, have you been to church recently? Are you good with God? (laughs) Are you, uh, what about like, uh, you know, you used to dance, maybe because you don't dance anymore. Maybe that's why you're so sad. Well, and it makes sense because it's like, well, that's what I did, and that made me feel better. Or that's yeah. what my football coach did, and I felt better. Yeah, we all want to project our own experiences onto others. So you know, I think that's the big problem. When you don't have empathy for what they're going through, a lot of times people give terrible advice. Yeah. Sometimes well-meaning. Sometimes they're just flat out not willing to be empathetic because they don't have patience for a mental illness. For any number of reasons, but... Is there any hope for bridging that gap of empathy? I think if you're willing to understand what it's like, that's half the battle. If you're willing to say, help me understand, or tell me more about that. Or what's your your experience like? Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard of it? It's (laughs) very powerful. Not not very common. Oh, yeah. It is wonderful. So, listening's huge. I'd say there's a lot of common misconceptions. Uh, Some of them are... Like just people with mental illness are violent or people with mental illness are weak. They just have to, you know, if, if they weren't weak, they could get out of bed. If they weren't weak, they could stay, hold a job. Yeah. I've had people like, oh, I know they have this disorder, but still Mm -hmm. they say something about how they're weak. Yeah. But but they should be able to, is it so hard to, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it can be pretty hard. Yeah. It's, so for, it's real. It's a real thing. So how how do you address the the situation? Oh, that person is just depressed all the time. They just stay in bed all day. Uh, how do we turn that around from the? <laughs> you know, it's really. I would have to say that's really hard thing, especially if you're the person that loves them. Like I've had many parents who come in and they're like, "My daughter's amazing. My daughter's incredible, but she won't get out of bed. And when people come to the house, she won't come out of her room." Yeah. And they're pushing and they're pushing to try and get something because sometimes it's true. Like people do, th- when you're when you're in a bad place, you don't do things that are healthy for you. Yeah. And so there's this hard balance between are you pushing on things that they just don't feel like are reasonable, and are you realizing their real limitations? And I think that I mean, like with this particular example, you know, with a parent that's really concerned about a child, that the answer is talk about it. Honey, yeah. I need you. It's healthy for you to have social interaction. I know it makes you anxious, but let's be real here. Are you happier when you're all alone? Or are you happier when you've had a couple? You know, you love serving. You love, let's get you. How do we help you get involved with people in a way that's positive? Because being alone so much, even though it helps you feel less anxious, isn't what it means to live an okay life. That's not what makes you happy. And, and, and I know a lot of parents, parents are always trying. They're trying hard. And I'm always curious about, you know, how to be a parent. I'm, I'm not a parent, but I, what, I uh, was a math tutor for troubled youth, and cool. I actually read a parenting book. Good for and, you. And I just thought it was interesting because I, I realized that was connected to how I dealt with normal people. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people feel estranged from their parents. Yeah. Um, and Again, some of that being a natural, almost symptom of experiencing anxiety and depression is the yeah. inability to have a connection when your your brain literally like loses its frontal lobe capabilities goes back to this this crisis part of your brain that only knows how to freeze flop or drop into your bed checking yeah. out zoning out numbing out or fight or flight 
which is I've got to be super on top of everything, on top of my schoolwork. I've got to be on top of my house. I've got to be on top Aggressive, of my Aggressive, yeah. Yeah, it's a hypervigilant state. And neither of those are very lending towards relationships. So yeah, you talk about these people that are either aggressive, which, what, what do you call that? The hypervigilance. Hypervigilance. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Okay, fight or mm-hmm. flight. Okay, I could write that today. And then there, aroused. What, and then what was the flip flop? What was that called? The freeze, flop, or drop. Freeze, flop, or drop. So mm-hmm. we have the people that are aggressive and more passive to themselves. Is, is, am I saying this right? Anxious or depressed. Hyper aroused okay. or hypo aroused. So their body's either freaked out, keyed up. Or like, imagine you walk into a field with a bear. Yeah. Um, your body is. This isn't. A, this isn't a personality flaw to have these experiences. This is how we're built. You walk into a field. There's a bear. First thing your body's going to do is switch into fight or flight. You're going to try to run from this bear or fight it off. Yeah, and this goes for everybody. Because this is the best chance of survival you have. And if that doesn't work, you trip or fall, or the bear gets to swipe at you. Your body is going to hype arouse is going to fall asleep in hopes that if this bear eats you it hurts less so literally these people are experiencing a physiological change with depression where they're like shutting off zoning out numbing out like closing up and hope because the pain is they're i mean either the pain is so bad or they're afraid of the pain and they need to get away from it so that that's kind of ominous what can these people do about it Okay, when we say these people, let's talk about all people because we all go up, we all go down. And like I said before, the chances that you experience depression at some time in your life is like extremely likely. Well, and is it is it best to put us all in the same category or to separate? From here on out, let's do that. Okay, well, no, but, but at the same time, mm-hmm. we've got like, oh, well, there's a difference between you being situationally depressed and you being clinically depressed sure and and it seems like that's an important distinction okay so let's just say if we're talking we're talking about all different kinds of people and experiencing highs and lows at at different varying rates of really low low versus a situational low let's just talk about emotional hygiene for these people in general okay how do you have emotional hygiene okay so there's a couple of myths about being happy to start with and one of them is, if I am not happy, there is something wrong with me. But that's not how we're built. I just talked about this built-in system to, I mean, this literally built-in system for your hypothalamus and your amygdala to take over in certain situations. You are built to struggle. You're built to worry. Your brain, the organ, your brain, the organ's only concern really in life is, can I make sure that Sean does not die. Can yeah. I protect him from a rattlesnake, rejection from his cave and tribe people? Can I save him from that math test that it feels bad? Now, the thing about pain is yeah. that we and our brain, we do not distinguish between physical and emotional pain in in different places of our brain. We that is that is felt in the same part of our brain. So our really? brain does not distinguish between physical and emotional pain differently. So your brain is just as likely to want to avoid emotional pain as to avoid breaking your leg again and falling off the trampoline. Oh, and I, and I I've had both. Like, oh, uh, I mean, I I I have trouble doing backflips on the tramp because. Uh, you hurt there, yourself. I, there was three times in a row that I hit the springs or hit my like shin on the bar. Yeah. At the same time, right after a breakup, I don't want to get in another relationship. So Exactly. 
Both of those. Yeah. yeah. Your brain's like, how can we avoid pain? So because of this, your brain spends so much time every single day worrying. And we know that um, like a brain has between some studies say like 12,000 thoughts a day or 90,000 thoughts a day. Really? And then other studies say that 70 to 8% of your thoughts on a daily basis are negative because your brain's really? like this little negative factor. It's like, okay, I'm going to like sort through this Rolodex of things that came up yesterday again because 98% of the things you thought yesterday, you're going to think today. Okay. And your brain's like, okay, I remember that um, conversation you had with mom last year, how you still felt unresolved with it. Yeah, okay, let's bring that up. Think that through again. Don't need it. Okay. All yep, right. I do that. Let's bring up um, that really embarrassing thing that happened last week with your coworker. Okay, yep, brought that up. All right, let's bring up those four to-do list things. Excellent. Uh, let's bring up that. Um, I, it's glad, I'm glad I'm not the only one, and I don't have any kind of clinical depression or anxiety. I just have that. That's normal. Yeah, this is this is the thing. Brains like just love to worry, love it. That they're like um, Velcro to the negative and like Teflon pan, like the nonstick pan <laughs> to all the positive stuff. So to shoot, like grabbing a hold of some of that positive stuff is usually like a, a choice. Well, can you? Would you say our brains are cynical? Out to get us, yes. Uh, what the organ, the brain? Yeah, the organ, the brain cares very little for like what you would consider happiness happiness being like having a positive feeling all the time that's just not a thing that anybody experiences so i think sometimes when we're struggling we look at other people who whose posts and there's in their posts they're smiling <laughs> right. or you know you see somebody laughing and you're like oh, i'm not happy i'm not okay <laughs> they're so cool and successful and right. popular yeah. we all lack comparison game but the truth is that um struggles and is just how we're built the tower belt and your brain is just sort of built to be an unreliable source of thinking and, and emotional data it's going to bring in all kinds of thought data and emotional data and treat it really like it's going to take itself super seriously like okay like because you know what because you feel like your girlfriend's cheating on you she is <laughs> That's that's just a, a new fact, says your brain. Or you know what? Because you've had the thought you're not good enough, you do need to go, you know, confess your sins. Yeah. Because you've, um, I mean, there's sort of like this jump in logic that your brain does, which is funny. But it's like, it takes itself so seriously that whatever it's worrying about, it's like pretty sure that that's the most important thing to worry about. So what do you do about it, though? Okay. So, all right. So we're getting there. We're getting there. So, all right. Emotional hygiene. I would say that... Living a, a life where you feel healthy is about being able to live your values no matter how you feel okay. and manage how you're feeling. So what we're, what I'm, basically what I'm saying is it's unrealistic to think to try and get rid of some negative experiences in your life or feel like as soon as I get rid of this negative experience, I'll be okay. Like as soon as this breakup is over, I'll be all right. Or as soon as my divorce is over, I'll feel better. Or as soon as um, the kids are back in school, that's what I'm getting right now because school's about to start, life will be back on track. And those are true. I mean, situational stressors do change. But the truth is that like the way that we view um, life has to be a little more accepting and of all the experiences. I would say one of the healthiest sentences you could say to yourself often is, I have space in my life for this experience. I or, have space in life for this experience. Or I don't have to like this or want it, but I can live with this. Wow. 
Yeah. Because, um, yeah, or I can be comfortable being uncomfortable. We don't often feel like those are okay things because our brain is so serious about how uncomfortable it is and it's pretty sure you've just got to get rid of this and solve this problem yeah. to be okay. But that's not true. It's it's a little bit of a myth that your brain's giving you. The truth is that, first of all, let's just get rid of that in general and then let's focus on, okay, what does it mean to try and be okay even though I'm having this horrible experience, this hard time? Yeah. So emotional hygiene. Everybody knows what physical hygiene is. Yeah. If like I could tell a three-year-old, oh, you have a boo-boo, you have a cut, let's go get you a Band-Aid. A three-year-old would march to the bathroom and put on Neosporin, slap on a Band-Aid, and we'd be like, oh, what a smart three-year-old. It knows how to take care of itself. Right. And then we'd be like, put you to bed, let's shower you up, let's brush your teeth. Great, physical hygiene. We are not taught the same things with emotion. Emotional hygiene isn't just like all these external things you do to yourself. Like, oh, once I get my pedicure, I won't be anxious anymore. It's like, <laughs> that's not how it works. So... So it's part of it just is part of emotional hygiene accepting some of those weird things. Yeah. He and accepting is a hard word for people. That's why expanding or making space is a lot easier for people cuz some people are like I can never accept what my husband did. How dare you say the word accept? I'm okay. like accept is maybe not the right word but accept yeah. is like is losing. I guess it, it's, it's accept? like I accept defeat. Right, I admit yeah. defeat. And, and instead we want to use the word accept as I allow that even though this experience is in my life that I can have other experiences at the yeah. same time. This is one experience in my life in a world full of opportunities and possibilities. So, okay. Emotional hygiene. We know a lot about emotional hygiene. We know one thing that's true is that we have a couple of things that don't work very well that we try first. Okay. One would be distracting ourselves, denying it, suppressing it, um, bullying it away. This is literally why Netflix is invented. Right? <laughs> to distract us away. Like, the way I think I'm supposed to deal with my emotions is to just want Netflix for the whole weekend. So I don't have to worry about my job anymore. I'm, oh, I'm giving myself a break. But really all you're doing is keeping yourself from feeling that emotion. We know emotional hygiene involves actually feeling it. So yeah. everything you're doing to avoid it is not particularly helpful. It works for little stuff. Right. Like... All right, if you're just trying not to think about how nervous you are getting on the bus tomorrow and you're an eight-year-old, eight it works to laugh and giggle and play with your little brother. Right. Does that work with bigger stuff? No, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work. So, well, I guess there's a really healthy idea that I love that sort of spans my idea of emotional hygiene, which is if you can let yourself feel something and make a little bit of space to hold it gently it can change into what it needs to be. But if you avoid it, if you make it stale, or push it away, it's paralyzed, it's stoned, it stays the same day to day, year to year. So part of being emotionally hygienic is actually feeling. And feeling in a specific way because a lot of people become emotionally reactive when they feel. So because they're so used to all this data of thoughts and feelings coming in, the thought comes in, I'm unhappy, and they're like, I am unhappy. And they take it on and they own it. They become it is the word we use. Yeah. Now, emotional hygiene is not about becoming those thoughts or feelings, but noticing what they are, observing them. So becoming an observing self. So this is the first step of emotional hygiene is becoming an observing self. And that that means that when you have these feelings and thoughts that they come up and they come in, instead of buying into, I am unhappy, it sounds like, I notice I'm having the thought that I'm unhappy. 
And that's yeah. a really big, like empowering different place to be speaking to yourself in. Um, so then also when you're in this place of observing, it's really, really important to be able to be compassionate with yourself. Okay. I failed. Oh, I notice I'm having the thought that I failed. I really did. Yeah. Now, compassionate sounds like, wow, that's pretty heavy to weigh against yourself just because of what you said to her and how, what her facial features did when you said that. Wow. That's, that's a heavy thing to lay on yourself. So do I need to imagine, because I think the most empathetic person I know is my mom. Hmm. Do I need to... If she's a powerful resource for you, yes. Well, do I... And and so when it's just me, should I just imagine her talking to me, reasoning with myself? (laughs) It works. But there's so much power in self-compassion. Yeah. Now, self-compassion is... The, this is this is how you know what self-compassion is. When you're having a hard time and you're thinking about it and you're feeling it and the question is, what do I need from myself even though or because I'm experiencing this? Let me think about that for a little bit. What do I need from myself? Okay, give me an example. Here are the th- top three things I need to hear from myself. It's going to be okay. I forgive you. And you've done enough. Or you're doing enough. Yeah. I always need... I, I, I always need to hear that for myself when I'm struggling. Yeah. To be able to self-soothe is a skill we're supposed to learn as babies. And we learn it innately as babies. We stick our thumbs in our mouths and okay, we yeah, learn to yeah. distract ourselves and stop crying. But at some point, it's not innate anymore. And our biological stuff just keeps going and nobody teaches us. Like, Don't stop telling yourself you're going to be okay. I mean, this isn't about like pretending that happy, happy, glory, glory. This is like actually connecting with a place in yourself that wants to believe that you'll be okay and trying to believe it no matter how the doubts come up. Yeah. Yeah. So emotional hygiene, observing, being non-judgmental and compassionate, and also being playful. Playful? Playful, yes. It's very powerful because it helps diffuse that reactivity and that emotion. When I say reactivity, I mean the thought, that data comes in, that thought and that emotion comes in and we lock into it. We're like, yes, I'm hooking onto this. That's right. This is important. I do need to think about this for the next two hours. Have to solve the problem of why my relationship ended because I'm yeah. in pain. Uh, the relationship, that one's an easy one to talk about because I talk about that with friends that they've experienced, what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always looking for the solutions are right? like what yeah okay so thing? how are we playful with that Let, let's just let's just say sean just broke up with somebody perfect okay sean just broke up with somebody oh, I, I promised myself i'd never talk about dating on my podcast <laughs> well okay. here we go all right sean in this we would say all right can you bring it up for a second this i just want you to bring it up and if you're listening you can bring up anything that's going on in your life that is kind of painful yeah. So nod to me when you kind of have brought up the emotion of what it, what this feels like to worry about this this past whatever you're going through. Okay, got it. Okay. I want you to pick the image that goes with the worst of that when you think about it. Okay. Okay. And now I want you to notice, do a full body scan of where you feel this in your body. Where's your body reacting to it? Uh, like in my chest, right? Is that is that right? Yeah. That's a really common okay. place to feel yeah. things, yeah. That's where I feel like stress mm-hmm. or anything, yeah. Right. right now in my body, talking to you, 
I feel it in my stomach. I'm a little nervous, right? I'm kind of like performing <laughs> being recorded. Okay. So yeah, you can feel a lot of things in your body. So if you're listening, you're noticing where you feel in your body. Then what's the emotion that goes with it? There's probably many, but name one. Disappointment. Perfect. Good. I can tell you're present with it because your eyes are a little sad too. <laughs> Telling people who can't see you. <laughs> okay. So diffusion is now. I'm going to I'm going to be a little playful with it. So I've just brought it up. We're feeling it. We're not, we haven't judged it yet. We're just sort of noticing it right now, right? Okay, yeah. And you're observing it, which is really good. And so this is all really good. We're going to get a little more playful. So take the image that goes with this pain you're experiencing. And I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a movie theater. All right. And imagine it playing on the screen in front of you. My, this relationship or whatever. The, yeah, 10 seconds. Just a 10 second loop. You do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need you to add music that does not fit this image. The emotional tone of this image. Or just whatever. Any music that comes up, yeah. Okay. Should well, I tell you what music just can't... Like Napoleon Dynamite music? Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. So right now, observe what just happened to you. You were present with it. Then I asked you to do a couple of playful things. Imagine yeah. it. Imagining is playful. Okay. And then I made you manipulate it, which is playful. Oh. And music. I can make you manipulate it in a thousand ways. Put it on a laptop screen. Put a clown nose on it. Um, turn it <laughs> upside down. Fast forward it. Fold it up. There, I mean, diffusion. There's a thousand diffusion meditation exercises on the internet. You can go find out how to do that. If, if, <laughs> but this if, is a real thing. Yeah, I teach people to do this all the time. Because when something comes up, we're so reactive to this data so much that we don't know how to handle it. So one of the first steps is if you're going to take a step back, really take a step back. And sometimes if it's really sticky and super stuck to you, you got to be playful with it. You yeah. Know? I have a client who, sweet, cool little girl. I taught her about this playfulness. I said, I challenge you to be as playful as you want to be. I taught her a bunch of different, you know, turn it upside down, play with it, fold it, put it in a pocket, print it out, put emojis on it. You make it a boomerang from Instagram. <laughs> and I said, go, go be playful with this at home. She said, I did it. I did. I was reading my book and these thoughts came up and you know what I did? I waited to the end of the chapter and then I closed the book and I set it down and I left it there. I was like, that's so playful. Such a good way to deal with it. She felt it. She didn't become it. She observed it. She was aware of it being present. She didn't fight it. She didn't struggle with it. She allowed it to be there. Then she let it go. So then she said, and then I came up with another one. She doesn't like going where she's going. So, um, She's leaving the house. She's tying her shoes. She said, I stomped on it. I stomped on it before I left, so I didn't have to take it with me. And it's not that it's not going to come up for her again. Right. It's She was able to take this data that was coming up, and instead of becoming it, she played with it instead. And that's a really powerful thing we don't often let ourselves do. We take our thoughts. Thoughts, we act like thoughts are. Commands need to be followed. True orders must mean something. Yeah. Instead of what they are, which is... Words on a page, blips of information, patterns and synapses, something somebody said to you once that you repeat to yourself. Yeah. Like thoughts don't mean anything about your future. They're not 3D. They don't control your life. They don't come up to you and push you or touch you or do anything to you. But we treat them like they're this, we're so used to like thinking through and I want to come up with some good analysis that we really buy into the stuff right. without taking enough time for that emotional hygiene of observing it. So a good, a, like the good basic emotional observance would be like, I notice I'm having the 
thought that dot 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 or i notice i'm having a sensation of right i notice i'm having the feeling of i notice that image is coming up again or man there's that story about who i am as a sibling there's that story about who i am as a coworker we have stories about ourselves we have things that come up and usually we're so unaware that when those automatic thoughts come in cuz they do all day long we're not aware we're just riding this emotional wave all the time without even being aware of what's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, emotional hygiene, being aware, taking time. They say like 10 minutes a day, good mindful meditation changes your brain, changes the way it's, it functions. Okay, so let's just get uh, those points again because those were really helpful. So for our for the listeners and for me and for everyone, what's our short list of emotional hygiene? Take five to ten minutes a day and become an observer. Okay. In observing, you purposely try to not react and become your thoughts, but notice them as they come up. And thoughts okay. are all that. You try to be compassionate. You try to be non-judgmental, And you try to just let it come and be instead of push it away or do whatever you normally do with emotions. Yeah. And then you turn off the faucet, you close the book, you shut the door, and you move on for a little while. That was Carrie Dyer, a licensed clinical social worker. That's it for our interview, but if you stick around a little longer, you can join us for a quick mindful meditation session. This is something you can do every day to improve your emotional hygiene, and you have the opportunity of sitting in with us. Uh, you talk a lot about meditation. There's another word you use for it. Uh, mindfulness or mindful meditation. Mindful meditation. Okay, well, why don't we just close this off with a little meditation? Sounds great. All right. Should I get comfortable? Yes. All right. Okay, so this is, if you're doing this, and I suggest you do for your mental health, for your emotional hygiene. Whether for, for the listener, if you're at work, um, will, will this work if they're sitting at work on their headphones? or It will work, <laughs> but... Um, you need to give a you need to give yourself a little bit of space to actually feel for a second. Okay. Does that make sense? All right, let's try it. So, go ahead and close your eyes. And go ahead and take a couple of breaths. If if you can't close your eyes, you can just look down. If you're driving, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and create a tiny bit of space for yourself. And I want you to start to be aware of the sensations in your body starting with your head. And your neck, shoulders, chest, upper back, just being aware, just nodding at them like, hey, I see you, arms, abdomen, lower back, trunk, thighs, kneecaps, shins, calves. All the way down to your toes. Just sort of noticing there. And pick a part of your body where you're feeling this feeling most intensely. It's potentially regarding an emotional issue. I did this just today. About a comment somebody made to me with their handle on their door walking out. And I thought, oh, ouch, dagger in the chest. I had to take a second. 
zoom in on that part of your body and I want you to observe it like you're a curious scientist observing it for the first time and let your thoughts come and go like passing cars I'm going to ask you some playful questions about this if this sensation were a shape in your body what shape would it be? Should I answer? No. Okay, okay. But you can nod so I know you're ready. If it were a color, what color would it be? If it were a temperature, solid liquid gas, if I could take it and hold up my hand, what would it be? Now notice that there is an uncomfortable part of having this sensation in your body. Maybe there's an urge that goes with it. Push it away, hide, go to sleep, fight it. Just notice, but see if you can allow it to be here right now instead of changing it or asking it to change. Taking a couple of breaths, imagining letting go of the struggle with the fact that this exists. Like you're turning down a dial or a switch. Turning off that struggle switch, turning down that dial. Now, creatively, however you imagine this, imagine breathing air in and around this part, this sensation. Imagine your body loosening up, creating space, using your body as a balloon, imagining space in your life opening up. Maybe literally a closet, not to be put away in or exiled, but under the assumption that there is space in your life for this experience. Noticing the struggle that comes up with this, just accepting and allowing it to be there. Picking something that you need to hear from yourself. I told you my three favorites. I forgive myself. It'll be okay. I've done enough. Or maybe something more like, I can handle this. There's space for this in my life. I don't have to like it or want it, but I can live with it. Find one. And get to work on absorbing that. Everything you can from it. Even if doubt comes in, just absorb what you can from it. It's a gift to tell yourself something like that. And I would also ask, even though this is happening... What is the right thing? What do I think is the right thing to do about this? Even though we're because of this feeling. Nod when you know the answer to that one. Just commit to yourself, even though this is happening and that there's space for it in your life, you will do the thing that you think is right. Now starting to notice your body again, checking in with the other sensations in your body. Noticing that's just one of many sensations, one of many problems. And your body and your life has space for all of them. Because it's one sensation in a body and a world full of things happening that will happen, good and bad. And when you feel like you've given yourself enough time and space, take a big breath and come back. That's the short version. <laughs> all right. Hey. And that was kind of fun. I mean, in a, you know, it wasn't like the fun going to a, uh... A, a movie kind of fun but that was like really uh I, helpful really helpful effective yeah i know <laughs> and and it was funny well it was funny that when you mentioned a shape 
I actually saw a shape and I like saw a color and everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to look at your emotions that way. Mm-hmm. So there's three, my favorite sentences. One is I don't have to like it or want it, but I can live with it. The other is there's space in my life for this. And the last one would be like, I can handle this. Carrie Dyer, thanks for uh, enlightening uh, me and all the listeners on all this emotional health, this emotional hygiene. I feel like I've been cleaned up a little bit. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, prove it. Leave a review in iTunes. Our theme music is provided by Dee Dee Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Un-Uninformed. Thanks, everybody.